Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast. We're recording from GYC again, and I have a good friend of mine, Elder Rico Hill. We go way back. Elder Hill, can you tell us what you do in ministry? Absolutely. By the way, Peter, it was it's great to be on this podcast with you and to share the good things that God is doing. Uh, currently, um, I am still working with a ministry called The Beehive. The Beehive is a ministry that seeks to really bring together God's workers in a unified way and work under some name, any name, in any way to be able to further God's um, beautiful, wonderful gospel message. And we do that in a few ways. Um, we actually have a, um, an international part of the ministry uh, so Beehive International that's headed up by a guy by the name of Jonathan Euler, and it is in Haiti, and we have an outpost there in a city um, location in Haiti. We've been there since 2010, since the earthquake, and working with orphanages, working with um, the locals there, have something like 90 day workers who are making above the national average being self-sustaining, teaching them how to actually be self-sustaining and to care for their families and be um, a real uh, asset to their communities. Uh, we have some some uh, just wonderful things that are taking place there. It's too much that I can, you know, could really squeeze into this time. On the domestic front, we do um, health messages, health seminars, uh, health trainings, and medical missionary training and setup. And basically, I go around doing seminars, uh, sharing the gospel and health together as a combined message. And what I'm most excited about, Peter, is that we have infused it with righteousness by faith, Christ our righteousness, to help people to understand that their, their first number one victory is fueled by, is motivated by Christ. And once you have that, you're triumphant in everything. Now, you also oversee the media wing of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is that correct? Yes, yes. Um, the other aspect of the, I almost have two hats, um, working also with the General Conference with the Adventist Review. You know, the Seventh-day Adventist Church actually started with a publishing arm first, and then it became a church. Um, and that's how we grew so quickly was because we were doing publishing. And we asked ourselves the question, what would James White, if he were living today, what would he be doing? He would be doing media, digital media that can be shared on social media in a fast way. So I'm leading or heading up the development department within the Adventist Reviews at ARTV is what we're calling it. It's, it is videos, social videos on demand. It's almost like the Adventist Netflix. Wow, that sounds very, very relevant and impressive. Now. A few years ago, you were uh, in media, in mainstream media, were you not? What did you do back then? I was. I was for years working in mainstream or secular um, media. I was 10 years at Nickelodeon uh, in Burbank, California, where I was a creative director developing shows for them and actually overseeing shows as they were on the air and all of the many ancillary facets of that. And then I was recruited down to Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta, where I was for two years before I decided that I wanted to take the skills that God had given me um, to put them into ministry full time. And that was in 2009. Now, you have a unique perspective on how the mainstream media or secular media may view Seventh-day Adventist doctrine or beliefs and whatnot. Is the mainstream media or secular media, are they tolerant of our message do you feel 
by working with them? Well, you know, Peter, I would say that um, ultimately I believe that most people in mainstream media, evidenced by when Ben Carson stepped on the national stage as a presidential candidate, the mainstream media is by and large ignorant of what a seven-day Adventist is. Uh, we have not really been relevant in our uh, in our world in our in this country. Um, we still are this very obscure community of people who eat differently and worship on a different day. Beyond that, they really don't know who we are, or what we stand for, or what our doctrines are. In fact, we're often confused with um, with either Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. So what I found when I was in the secular realm and people knew that I was an Adventist, they really were, they were tolerant, but they probably sort of were dismissive of, of what I believed and not really interested in it because they just thought I was off. And I think people generally think that about us. Now, there was a show that you did that you were working on and you felt convicted that it went against your beliefs and you got the show off the air. Is that true? Or can no, you? No, I didn't. I didn't take the show off the air because money. I mean, we're talking about shows. Millions of dollars are invested in them. And this particular show. And I'm glad you brought that up because that was that was really a turning point for me because I had just started in the Adventist church and I was studying and I had learned about the state of the dead and was even preaching and teaching about what that meant to a bunch of hip-hop guys and all that. And um, here the show came up and it was called uh, Danny Phantom. And it was about a guy who um, was had ghost powers. And at first I was like, hmm, what does that mean really, ghost powers? Does that mean he can vanish and he can do it? Well, I said, okay, I can develop that and make it more palatable and without it going off the rails, so to speak. And as I started to go down that path with it, the Lord revealed to me that it was not going to be what I thought it was going to be. And then it was, it was shown to me that they really wanted to feature ghosts, people who had been dead and had come back to life and were spooking people. And I said, I can't do it. So I went to my, I went to my, um, my supervisor at the time at Nickelodeon and I said, I'm sorry, I cannot do this show. I'm a seven-day Adventist and we do not believe that that people die and come back and haunt and do those kind of things. And he just looked at me and he said, I'm sorry, you got to do it. You got to take one for the team was his words. And I told him, I said, I need to let you know, I'm, I'm willing to walk away from this job. It was a very good job. I said, I'm willing to walk if I have to do this because it really goes against my beliefs. And he says, you have to make your own choice. Well, he communicated it with, um, both of our superior, who was in New York City, that's where her office was, and she came to town. And the most amazing thing happened, Peter. She came into my office and said, we need to talk. And I said, okay, here it is. The ball is about to drop, and I'm going to have to go ahead, and this is going to be the end of my career here doing this. And I was, I was okay with it. My conviction was what it was. And she surprised me. She closed the door to my office, and she said, I hear you don't want to do that show. I said, no, I, I can't. And she says, well, I want you to know that you don't have to do that show. If you don't want to do it, if you don't believe in it, you know, then you don't have to do it. In fact, we're going to go ahead and give you a promotion and a raise because we really value you here. 
and I was blown away, man, because I'm like, I'm thinking she's going to drop the bomb on me and, and say, this is how it is, and we're sorry. We're a company, and your job is to work on whatever we say you're supposed to work on, but it didn't work out that way. And it was bittersweet, Peter, because I was like, I need to get out of this and start doing something for the Lord, and maybe this is my out, while at the same time, you know, it was a really good job, and I had a family to take care of, so. Sounds like a Daniel story. It was. But then, okay, here's the, here's the cherry on the top of that story. As I struggled around this time and felt like, okay, I just got to leave, and I was within a certain mm, subculture within the Adventist church that was really hard on anything like this, and I was, I was feeling the pressure of that. And um, so I went home, and I, you talk about the story of Daniel. I, I read Daniel because I wanted to know what was my place. I came back in after a weekend of searching and soul searching and studying. And as I walked into the building there in Burbank, a guy who was a Christian also, he wasn't Adventist, but he was a Christian, he came up to me and he said, he said, hey, I got to tell you something, man. God told me to tell you that you're an itinerant preacher in this building and you need to stay. He didn't know anything about what was going on. He says, you need to stay here because every hand you shake, every smile you give, and every time you talk to people, you're ministering to them and God wants you to be here. Amen, praise the Lord. This is something that we should consider and how when we're faithful to God, God is faithful to us. Absolutely, Deuteronomy 7, 9, the faithful God. Now, you're into health evangelism and you talked about relevance. Yes. How relevant is our health message today? Oh man, our health message is off the chain today. It is amazing where, how far things have come. I feel like uh, Forks Over Knives sort of kicked the door open, but a documentary that a lot of people have watched called What the Health has actually gone into the house and started just taking numbers because it has reached some of the most difficult demographics in our country with the health message. So that which we believe is so relevant right now, I can't even tell you. Uh, right now on CNN's homepage, they have been, it has been a permanent fixture over the, la over the last few weeks that many NBA basketball players have become plant-based, have become vegan. Not the least of whom Kyrie Irving, who now plays for the Boston Celtics, who's become totally plant-based, has a commercial out right now where they ask him how, is, how are his numbers, his stats are so high right now, where he's getting all this energy, how has he become so lean and fit, and then he says plant-based diet. So it's amazing. I have a lot to say about that, so stop me whenever you need to stop me because it's amazing what's going on because God gave us this message it's our currency, it's our economy. It's the thing that we are to have in the last days as an entering wedge. And God wanted us to lead it, but we're not. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, let's be very, very honest, we are not leading in this health, health revolution. My unique perspective on it, Peter, is that every revolution, and we, we are not leading it, and God called us to be the head and not the tail. We're not leading it, others are heading it. And that can be discouraging for some. But I want people to be encouraged, especially within the faith, not to be discouraged because every revolution has a revelation. 
and what is taking place now with the likes of Michael Greger, Dr. Michael Greger, who wrote How Not to Die, and Neil Barnard, who has the Lifestyle Medicine uh, Clinic that's in Washington, D.C. right now, um, you know, T. Colin Campbell, the Folks Over Knives, and the China Study, uh, and on and on and on and on. These people are leading out. They're getting huge numbers at their conferences. They're starting all these type of vegan platforms where they're delivering the message. Nutritionfacts.org is one of those with Dr. Michael Greger. But every revolution must have a revelation. And the third angel's message is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And God is reserving that. He's reserving that for us. When we bring the message of health and Christ together once again, and reveal how beautiful he is in this third angel's message, that's when we're going to be leading this revolution again. Now, in government, there's efforts to overturn the Affordable Health Care Act. Yes. Could that be an opportunity for us if the Affordable Health Care Act that's be a great repealed? That is a great question. The, the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Why? Because um, people have placed so much emphasis on your health being managed and monitored by someone in a white coat. That's not God's plan. God's plan is simpler than that. Simple things like sunshine, fresh air, water, and good nutrition are really God's remedial agencies. And when we actually, when the world actually understands that, as we're seeing now, just to sort of like answer the question, from a, you know, dovetailing from the question about how relevant are, are things out there in the world, when the world begins to see that health is simpler than medication and going to doctor visits. I mean, let me be very clear. We all need health care. We all need, you know, doctors and medication for that matter. You know, if you are in some type of a traumatic situation and you've suffered trauma, you need care you need medication but the difference is most of our health care goes to lifestyle issues heart disease is number one right cancer is number two um, diabetes is right up there and not to mention the fact that many people die and suffer from wrongful deaths due to um, prescription medications wrongfully used and prescribed so when, when the world begins to understand that it's simpler than that and God has a plan for our health, that will give us an entrance into, you know, people's psyche, into their homes, into their lives with our unique message to show them that, you know, you don't even have to worry about an Affordable Care Act. God has an Affordable Care Act already. Amen. Those are some powerful thoughts that God has given us an opportunity, even in a time of crisis, to fill the need That's to right. be healing for the nations. That's right. Now, we're in a very interesting place politically in this nation. Has the politics of this nation and the policies of the national political scene affect the church today, in your observation? Um, yeah, it, 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 it has in ways that are sort of imperceptible. We don't realize it unless you're paying attention. I love the act, this whole woke movement where people are, you know, they're looking under rocks now. They're looking behind the curtains. You know, is, is the wizard really the one who's controlling, controlling, controlling things? And if not, who is really? And what we're finding is that, you know, this Johnson Act that was just, you know, 
how that was dealt with through the, from the Trump administration. You know, this opens up a whole new thing for church and state. Um, the evangelicals who put Trump in into office, they have expectations. One of them was that. Another one was, you know, make Jerusalem the capital of Israel and all these kind of things. So what we're seeing already is the beginning of church and state movements where evangelicals, uh, Christian organizations are having an influence within the White House in a major way. And we know what that means for us. Do you see some Seventh-day Adventists being swept in and in line with the evangelical movement? Sadly, sadly, I do. Um, there are many who have embraced conservatism, not in a way from a spiritual standpoint, where we are to take the word of God as our guide and our, you know, thus say of the Lord, not in that way, but conservatism as, I'm going to go ahead and say Republicans and embracing that, that idea, looking for prosperity um, and looking for that in a man and in an administration. And it's really sad to see because you cannot do that without dismissing and um, throwing off your true fundamental beliefs. We're seeing it play out in social media where there's lots of hostility, there's lots of racism, there's lots of all types of isms that are taking place all in the name of bowing down, if you, if you will, to this kind of ideology. So it's, it's pretty serious. Now, going back to social media, you've been engaging the conversation with certain people that are promoting partisan politics and have uh, sadly expressed some prejudiced sentiments towards other races on social media. Yeah. Why do you think this sin of racism is re-manifesting in the church today? Or has it been always there and it's just coming out? You know, I've got some theories about that. I think that when Barack Obama became president, first black president, uh, regardless of his politics um, and his accomplishments or his failures, um, doesn't really matter to me. You know, I believe that God sets up kings and he brings them down. So uh, just going by that, thus say of the Lord, um, he was there for a reason. But when he became president, it it pulled the wool off a lot of people back then. I was at the time at Cartoon Network at Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta, Georgia. And one of the key things, or the key reasons why I had to leave or wanted to leave and move my family out of Atlanta was because of the things that we were seeing, number one. And even then I began to see it among Christians in general and somewhat among Seventh-day Adventists in particular, right? So then, um, so we had eight years of him, and I, I heard people say to me, I hate him. And they were Adventists. And I said, you hate, you hate someone? How do you say that as a Christian? How do you say that you hate someone? You know, and I would give them the Bible text about how we are to look to our leadership and how we're to pray for them and so forth. And yet, they held onto the sentiment. And I said, why? And the reason why was, they said, He's a liar. He lies. Then we got a president who, said, who does nothing but lie. And they like him. I've had a hard time, Peter, reconciling that. 
So what did that tell me? It was always there. It's something that's never gone away. And the enemy of souls in his great controversy, he works his plan through division. And as long as he has that, he can tear down an entire church. And he's, in some ways, he's doing it. But God is faithful and he's going to, he'll step in where it's necessary and when it's necessary. What solutions do we as a church have to address this issue, this problem, this sin? Uh, you know what? I think we deal with sin the way that, well, any kind of sin. And this one in particular, it's no different. We're told in the Bible, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. We need to pray as a church. We need to stop pointing fingers because we cannot deal with a spiritual issue with any type of um, resolutions or committees. We have to get back to just simply prayer and praying and turning to God. What does that mean? That means turning to Jesus, looking to him as the author and finisher of our faith, as the one who even back in the Sinai Desert floor, when Moses had to hold up the, um, the fiery serpent, and look and live. And I think that the problem with us now, even as it says in Testimonies to Ministers, page 91, many back in 1888 had taken their eyes off of Jesus. They needed their eyes directed back to his divine person, his marriage, and his changes love for the human family. That's what we need. We need God's people to turn back to Christ. Not to our scholars, not to our leaders. Everybody needs to humble themselves, repent, because racism, my friend, is a sin. Being a respecter of persons, according to James, is a sin. And what God has done in his great mercy, Peter, he's revealed it in us, something we didn't know that we had. And we even have it in this church. We need to turn back to God. Now, your ministry is very multicultural. Yes, it is. Can you tell us the diversity and how you now, work together? Are you talking about the Beehive Ministry, or are you talking about the ARTV? Because I'm kind of wearing two hats right now. Or I can just talk about both of them, because both are multicultural. Oh, uh, yes, both. Okay, both in terms of um, the Beehive. Uh, since um, years ago, Peter, I came to you with an idea, and I said, man, we need to find ways to work together, you know? Um, since then, you know, we've traveled around the country in several countries, and just sharing the idea that, you know, this work in this earth cannot be finished until the people of God work together, are unified. And many attempts have been made to do that. Oftentimes what separates us is our diversity. You know, it divides us. But really, that's the strength. Every nation, kindred, tongue, and people is what God wants. Because that shows the world, wow, they can work together. Right? So in the Beehive, we have Jonathan Euler, who happens to be a Caucasian man, but he's working down in Haiti amongst all blacks. And seeing no color, they see no color in him, he sees no color in them. We just do a work that changes lives and helps people. Many people go down and participate in that. I go and I'm comfortable. I, I'm, I'm happy to say this to you, Peter, because I know how you are. And I know about your ministry and your preaching schedule and where you preach, you know, you go everywhere. Because why? A message knows no color, knows no bounds. It speaks to everybody. And Beehive Ministry has really brought in people who are from Haiti and from, from um, 
from the states, people who are Latino, people who are white. It is just a very diverse mixture of people who have one message, and that message is Christ and Him crucified and His righteousness. In terms of ARTV, um, I work with Jared Thurman, um, and we we work with a, a brother from England and another brother from England, and there's diversity there. And sometimes when we look around the table, and we don't even think about it, but if you said, hey, look at you guys, and we've done that, and we said, wow, we are really a diverse group of people. And we find that because of that, there's strength, because everybody comes with a different perspective based on their background. Now, we're at the GYC right now. Mm -hmm. Do we see hope for the church in GYC as terms of diversity? Oh, you know what? It's represented here. This is the first angel's message. We see it. I mean, just what that aspect of the first angel's message where every nation, kindred, tongue, and people are here, young people, and they run the gamut. And it's beautiful to see, I must say. Of all the things that I enjoy about coming to GYC, it's that, it's seeing A, young people who, are, who come here because they want to charge. You know, there's a social aspect to it. You can't deny that. But you know what? Use it. <laughs> you know what? They've come for that. But then they hear messages. They see ministries. They, they see people who are actually doing the work. And then they're invited to come and step in. The appeal last night was huge. And people are stepping up. So I'm excited about seeing that. But then when I look at the faces um, and the diverse nature of the people who are responding and who are here, it's really encouraging. I just pray, you know, sometimes people don't like GYC. They may say it's too conservative or it's this or that and, you know, lots of charges that are leveled against it, but be that as it may, they're here. And they, they made, you know, they made commitments to be here. And now they're here. And you know what? There's growth in this experience. So my hat is off to to the organizers and, and those who have come to have this experience. Now, your own personal ministry. Yeah. Obviously, you're an African-American man. Yes. But you have ministered to every nationality under the sun. Yes. How is that possible? It's the message, Peter. People fall in love with the message. And as long as you give the message, it, it really it really keeps people from trying to embrace the messenger or even sing the messenger. You know, people will say it all the time, they pray before they pray, hide me behind the cross. And you know, I think that's a, that's a very good way to look at it because ultimately what we want people to see is Jesus. I've been to Chinese churches in right there in Loma Linda. I've been to an Indonesian church in Denver, Colorado. Spanish churches where there was a need for a translator here and around, I've been to Jamaica, I've been to, you know, I just think about all the different places. Went up to Montreal, to a Filipino church where they spoke French. <laughs> and, and now this whole youth movement is now taking place as a result and going back up there and the things we're doing, we're working with the Montreal conference. So as an African-American, I don't even think about it. I'm thankful for that. Now, having said that though, I've gone to some churches and you know, you can tell that some people don't like it. But you give the message anyway. And you lift up Christ and you hope that somehow that can, that can do something to the heart of those individuals. But I'm thankful, brother. I'm thankful that 
when you give the message of Christ, Christ and Him crucified, it transcends color, transcends culture. What we need, Peter, is a culture of Christ and for churches to let go of their cultures. I was in Dallas, Texas a month ago, and the church I went to was a, a very diverse church. The pastor was from, he was from Africa, and there were whites there, and there were lots of South Asians, Indian people there, and there were Caribbean people there. It was so diverse. Now up the street was a, a Brazilian church, and I asked the question, I said, do they speak Portuguese there at that church? He said, no, it's in English. I said, why are there two churches on the same block, you know? So my whole point there is that I would love to see as we go forward that our churches come together. If they speak English, worship together. Because sometimes what separates us is that culture. And we don't really need that. We need the culture of Christ. Elder Hill, thank you so much. Your time is valuable to join us in this podcast. It was my pleasure. This was great. Would you say a closing prayer for us as we end? Absolutely. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his shed blood and his righteousness. And I pray, Father, as we um, use media like this to speak to people's hearts, to encourage them, to exhort them. We pray, Father, Lord, that you would, that you would mingle it with your spirit and that it would become a sweet savor to those who hear and those who see that they might fall in love with Christ, that they might be led to the cross to give their lives wholly to him and be saved. Lord, this is our prayer for them and for ourselves. We look forward to that day when you will come soon, Lord, and we pray that we will all be together with you. Thank you for this work. Thank you for this time. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>